Howdy y'all, this is Connie Morgan with the Free Black Thought Podcast. So this show is about highlighting people who are not me. I am a nobody here to elevate other people who are doing great things. But if you are at all curious about my background, I actually grew up on a horse. I wasn't born on a horse, but I've spent a lot of time riding, saddling, scooping the poop, all of the things. My dad actually owns a dude ranch. He is around 30 to 40 horses at any given time. Honestly, this upbringing that is somewhat unique for black people, especially where I was in Washington state, almost certainly plays a huge role in why I am heterodox in my thinking today. All that to say, I am so excited to be welcoming today's guest, Aisha McElroy. Aisha hails from Oakland, California, and is an unwavering champion of both community service and the rich heritage of black cowboys. Inspired by her experience volunteering at a Black-owned barn in Atlanta, Georgia, and attending various trail rides, she was amazed by the abundance of Black cowboys, horsemen, and saddle clubs in the southeastern United States. Upon relocating to North Carolina, Aisha unearthed a hidden population of third- to sixth-generation Black cowboys residing in rural areas. Motivated by this revelation, she embarked on a mission to establish a comprehensive Black cowboy directory aimed at shedding light on the multitude of barns and programs managed by these remarkable individuals. With her background in the horsemanship industry and a desire to make a difference for disadvantaged youth and adults across the country, Aisha founded the Black Cowboy Coalition in September 2021 along with the Black Cowboy Directory. Although Aisha led a very successful career in corporate IT management for Fortune 100 companies after graduating from Howard University with a degree in computer information systems, she decided to redirect her energy towards her true passion of serving the community. Now through the Black Cowboy Coalition, Aisha aims to create change by positively exposing and uplifting Black cowboys while building stronger connections with the broader community. I am so pleased to welcome her to the show and share a version of Black culture we don't hear about as often as we should. Because remember, there's no such thing as the Black perspective and just Black people with perspectives. You're listening to the Free Black Thought Podcast. Aisha, thank you so much for coming on the show. I am so excited to have you on today. I have been searching and hoping to get somebody who can talk about Black cowboy culture. And I found you and I was just so pleased and happy to get into what we're going to get in today. Um, It's a topic that's near and dear to my heart, having been raised by a Black cowboy and kind of sort of within Black cowboy culture although we kind of were surrounded by white folks where I was from. So my dad was sort of the only black cowboy I ever saw really for a long time. But I'm just so pleased to have you on. But first, because, you know, the black cowboy culture is sort of a unique upbringing, a unique background, a unique sort of movement to be involved in. Can you tell us, tell our listeners a little bit about how you grew up and why you're in this kind of area of culture? Yeah, thank you. And thank you so much, Connie, for having me. I am so excited to have this conversation with you, especially someone who grew up in a similar kind of environment. Um, But, you know, mine is actually pretty unique. Uh, So I am originally from Oakland, California. I was around the age of seven. I happened to um, witness the Black Cowboy Parade, and that's an annual Black Cowboy Parade um, that actually happened right outside my door. So they had the um, the parade on my street, and I was just that was the first time I had ever seen the Black Cowboy, and I was just in awe, like, oh my God, there's a there's a guy, a black guy on a horse, and he looks amazing. Like I can do this, you know. 
And it just so happened that the next year, I was involved in an all-black karate school, very random, but the instructor happened to take us to the very same black cowboys for instruction. So I happened to learn from those same black cowboys, just, you know, an introduction to horsemanship and, and some other things. And I studied with them for a few years. Interestingly enough, fast forward to when I'm about 33 years old, I have a conversation with my grandfather, who's now 95, who told me that um, we had actually migrated from Beaumont, Texas. And in Beaumont, his father was a rancher who had horses, who had pigs, who had all kind of livestock. And his grandfather, who is from Clarks, Louisiana, was also a big time rancher who had what he would call the Cadillac of horse and buggies. Uh, in Clarks, Louisiana, which is actually still considered a village to this day. So he actually grew up on a farm and a ranch and he had been immersed in that culture. However, when, uh, I can't remember the exact age, but they had to flee from Beaumont, Texas because they were being attacked by the KKK who eventually burned their land and took their land. And that's another story. <laughs> but it was interesting that, you know, at that age, I had learned that that culture had been ingrained in me. And I had wondered why at such a young age, I remember asking my mom at like four, um, when am I getting a pony? Like, uh, you know, uh, am I getting a horse sometime soon? You know, but it was like ingrained in me for some reason. And that's why it's because, you know, we came from that. And I was really grateful and fortunate to have uh, shared that story with my grandfather because a lot of people in my family don't even know that. So wait, you, a karate school is what introduced you to horsemanship? <laughs> yes. yes, it's a karate school. Shout out to Costco's martial arts, Seafood Bill Owens and Mary Owens. That it was, it was all black. It was like black ninjas in Oakland, you know, and they had actually been trained by um, some individuals who had been trained by Bruce Lee and had been immersed in that culture. Bruce Lee actually had a at a um, dojo in Oakland, but it was an all black karate school, not intentionally all black. It just was. Yeah. And I mean, we were um, big time in Oakland back then. That was when karate schools were, were the thing, you know, back like when um, the last dragon and all that was, you know, I don't know. If, I don't know how old you are, but that's <laughs> but, you know, it was big time back then. And, and we were actually more like a family. You know, we um, the instructor, um, Sifu Bill Owens, he immersed us in so much. And actually, some of the black belts from that karate school, uh, Seahang Doug Jones, uh, who uh, has a, um, a ranch here in Oakland uh, called Equine Kung Fu, a lot of them branched off and did their own thing in horsemanship. Wow. But a lot of that, that foundation came from that karate school on 75th and MacArthur in East Oakland, which is the hood. <laughs> okay, so the, the people that, the folks that were running the karate school were, are, they actually were black cowboys too already or because they were introducing their students to black cowboy horsemanship they also got involved and and then were like I'm gonna start my own ranch is that how that went well I think I think so the the head instructor he his students he was an older gentleman say he was around in his 50s his students some of his black belts were black cowboys okay okay 
Yeah, some of his black belts were black cowboys. And one of them particularly went off to start his own ranch and his own program in the Oakland Hills, right down the street where I was trained. But yeah, at that time, I think they were just kind of in the culture, kind of just riding. Because back then, if you look at any of like... um some of the old um, photos. I can't remember that the Instagram page that shows some of those um, Oakland black cowboy parades where they were decked out. I mean, they were, their horses were dressed. And when I mean dressed, they had like, you know, like a costume Mm -hmm. for their horses that matched the costume that they had on. It was big time back then, you know? So a lot of people were into martial arts. And apparently a lot of people were into horses in Oakland. But, you know, what's interesting is that, you know, some of the unknown history is a lot of those people who migrated here to Oakland came from the South. So they came from Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, where that culture existed. And as I referred to my grandfather's, um, my grandfather's grandfather, my great grandfather in Clarks, Louisiana in the 1800s, he had horse and buggies. Mm-hmm. So this was a part of their culture that they bought with them that that they fortunately didn't lose. Yeah. But, you know, some of some of the some of us didn't know where it came from, but that's where it came from. OK, so you you saw the parade as a little girl. You're like, that dude looks fly as hell. And the in the, mm-hmm. you know, the seed was planted, basically. And then you got linked up with some black cowboys through your karate school. But what were you like? What specifically were you learning? Were you guys writing Western English? Were you learning how to rope? animals what 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 type of horsemanship we we were actually learning both but it was more on the english side okay because i remember learning things that that were different than how i learned later on realizing at that time i didn't know that there were two different styles Mm. so um so how so everything was kind of different so yeah so basically we learned English, but I think that they integrated some Western in there. That's surprising. Um, I would have guessed that it would have been. I don't know. Like whenever I see black cowboys, like they they tend to be riding Western. I don't see a lot of folks riding English. So that's kind of surprising to me. Well, I think it was based on the region because out here in, I don't know where you're, you're located, but um, in Northern California, um, a lot of it is, well, I don't know today, but back then it was more English, how we learned. But I, you know what? I can't even say, you know, because I wasn't as exposed as I am today. Because the thing about it is I don't do a lot out here in California with the Cowboys um, as I do in the South, which is more uh, focused on Western culture. But the culture here in California is more pretentious. It's very pretentious. It's very Hollywood. It's very showy. Yeah. So um, I think, you know, back then they were kind of going along with what was trending. I would say that. And back then it was more of that white culture. It was more of that if you're a black cowboy, you are, you know, perceived to be very wealthy, perceived to be, you know, Something that most of them were not. Okay. Okay. And that's an interesting dynamic, right? Like out in the West, they're not, they're not writing Western. You actually have to go East (laughs) to get people. Well, today, you know, today it's, you know, I, I think 
and and I could be misspeaking because I was very young and I don't I don't know, but but actually, you know, growing up and and taking writing lessons after that, you know, I, I took it sporadically. It was more on the English side. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until later on in life where I learned more of the Western style. Um, but but speak. I can't. I I don't want to misspeak though because a lot of the cowboys here in California do do western yeah they do western it's a big it's a mix especially when you go to los angeles there's a mix there's a mix of english and western so yeah they they do more of both out here but you know i've noticed that more of the western is uh more of a south thing but but i i could be misspeaking here no i think i think that you're largely right like everybody that i knew who ever took horse lessons they all wrote english and i'm i'm Um, I live in Idaho now, but um, I grew up in Washington, uh, Western Washington. So that's why, too, my dad was the only black cowboy I ever saw because, well, black people in Western Washington tend to just live in the city. There's not a lot of rural black folks. And so therefore, there's not any black cowboys because they're just not in the rural areas, which is where we lived in rural Western Washington. So and, and mm. we, I always rode Western. That's all we did. That's how my dad, mm. my dad grew up in Illinois, Southern Illinois. So that's what they rode. But it, I think you're right. It is like, what's that? Is he from Illinois? He is. Yep. Okay. Yep. 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 Interesting. Mm-hmm. And so they, we moved out as a family when I was two to Washington. So okay. uh, all my family basically still lives in the Midwest. But for what, you know, we're the ones that were crazy and came out to Washington. So, um, and now my dad owns and runs a, a dude ranch. He does horse rentals on the beach. So. Okay. Yep. Yep. That's, so he- that's excellent. And and that's for a black man. That's, that's pretty remarkable because, you know, um, there's not a lot of places surprisingly that actually still operate dude ranches that are known I guess you know it's few and far between it's kind of hard because you know I reach out to a lot of organizations sometimes because we have big trail rides and I ask hey is anybody renting horses and they're like no (laughs) you know I'm like why that's a big market like are you kidding me so it's really good to hear that um he's doing that that is so cool that is amazing yeah it definitely is special and I think people are frequently surprised he he runs his business out of ocean shores, Washington. And so most of his customers are going to be people who are vacationing from like Seattle, Tacoma, you know, who are coming out to the beach for the weekend or whatever. And I don't think anybody expects the guy who runs the horse business to be black. Like He's never faced any kind of racism or anything like that, but he is very unique in his line of work. <laughs> I guess oh, you could say. Shock. It's, it, you know, it's always a shock. You know, and that is just so cool that he's doing that. That's so cool. Yeah. So that's a little bit of my background. And that's why, you know, I've always ridden horses, always grown up with it. And like one of my big frustrations is kind of the way that black people are portrayed in the media. You pretty much never see, it's very rare that you see black, not even just black cowboys, but black people that are like have rural professions, whether it's being a farmer, rancher, whatever. And so that's part of the reason why people I think are so shocked when they see black cowboys, including other black people, because in movies and and television, we just don't see it a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. Even though if you want to talk about the, the wild west, 
tons of black cowboys back then, right? And Asian, mm. you know, Chinese cowboys. It was really diverse, actually. And and the rancheros, the Mexican cowboys. Let's talk about it. I mean, we was, you know, we were all working together, you know? Yeah, yeah. And Native Americans, too. I mean, it was Native very, Amer- very diverse. So, of course, um, of course, Native Americans, you know? Um, so, yeah, yeah. So, okay, back to kind of like your advocacy. So the Black Cowboy Coalition, you are the executive director. You got involved with horses at a young age, being exposed as a kid. And then now you're the executive director for the Black Cowboy Coalition. I don't think most people who are just kind of little girls interested in having a pony as a kid end up actually doing this kind of stuff for life. So did you end (laughs) up doing competitions? Did you just end up owning your own horses? How did you land at being the executive director of the Black Cowboy Coalition? Okay, so it's totally, it's almost like I just fell into it, you know? Um, So throughout my life, off and on, I would ride, you know, I wouldn't, I would take classes or do trail rides and, um, but then I kind of stopped, you know, I I probably had been um, not, I had probably not rode in like, maybe like 10, 15 years, maybe just like some random, like, Oh, let's, let's go up to a trail and do some riding, you know? Yeah. But what happened was in, uh, I think it was on 2000. I, I'm sorry, 2020. Um, I was watching the concrete Cowboys. I was actually in Atlanta, Georgia and concrete Cowboys with Idris Elba had just been released or I was watching it on Netflix. After it, you know, I thought and I said, you know what? I should volunteer at a barn because I've always took these horse riding lessons, but I never really immersed myself in the actual care of a horse. You know, I want to learn from the rooter to the tutor how to take care of horses. So I said, okay, let me Google, you know, a barn. And it just so happened that um, a barn was 10 minutes away from me and it was a black owned barn. And this was a uh, JD's horse ranch. And this was a black guy. And he owned, I think at that time he owned seven horses. And this was the first time I had met a black cowboy who actually had, you know, a significant amount of horses to me, you know, it was through JD uh, that I was exposed to the black horsemen and cowboy culture in Georgia. And it was through that experience and being with him and his organization, because he also has a saddle club organization called ASCA, where I was able to experience my first trail ride. So, um, you know, I had grew up in California. Okay. The, the, like I said, the, the culture is totally different. It's pretentious. It's like, if you have a horse, you're, you're a star, you know, but in Georgia, when I was exposed with JD and his organization, I found that there were hundreds of black horsemen and black cowboys in Georgia. And then he took a, he took us all to this um, trail ride, which is called Into Deep. It's in Shelby, North Carolina. They have it every year in May. And when I went to Into Deep, I thought that I had walked through a portal like a whole black portal, okay? It was thousands 
a black horseman and cowboys there. And we were celebrating in peace. We were we were camping out for three days. People bought their RVs, bought their tents, bought all kinds of stuff. And we camped out. We barbecued. We danced. We trail rode. We did all kinds of stuff that I had never even knew existed. And I was like, okay, now people got to know about this. Yeah. You know, people have to know that there is a whole culture around black cowboys. And so um, I took some time and I thought about, okay, how do I get the word out? And so what I did was I started researching uh, black uh, barns and black cowboys. Uh, black barn black owned barns and black owned ranches and also black saddle clubs because a lot of people don't even know that there are these saddle clubs in existence and i don't know if you know what saddle clubs are but they're basically just organizations of people that get together and ride they just yeah. want to get together ride they go to trail rides they they have uh cookouts they get you know they just have a, a heck of a good time and they just celebrate life so there's thousands of tr of saddle clubs OK. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea, you know, being raised in this culture, this Californian culture. So I said, OK, you know, I started researching black owned barns, black owned uh, ranches and, and associated organizations. And I started to find so many. So I said, OK, I'm not going to hoard this information. I'm going to create a directory like a yellow pages for uh, people to actually find this information because this needs to get out. Yeah. And so. Uh, from that, I created the Black Cowboy Coalition. So, um, so first I created this da database, and then I created the website. I designed and built the website. My background is actually in IT, so Perfect. I did all this myself. Okay, I um, so then you know I launched Black Cowboy Coalition in 2021. Really, it was the initial thought around it was to get the word out that, hey, we're out here. You know, there are these organizations out here. There are these barns out here. We need we need to support these barns. You know, our people need to see that they're in existence. And, and that's how the Black Coal Cowboy Coalition started. And then, you know, it just kind of grew its own legs. And I said, okay, well, we have all this data. Why don't we create programs? You know, why don't we create programs to teach kids how to ride horses, teach kids about agriculture, teach kids about the animal husbandry and, and, and cattle processing, the things that, you know, I've been exposed to by being immersed in this black cowboy culture. Why don't we teach this to our community? So that is how the Black Cowboy Coalition was born. And that is how me, myself, became the executive director. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that is how we uh, how we came about. So when when you talk to these folks that own these barn black people that own barns and saddle clubs and stuff like that, did they? I mean, of course, I'm sure they're all for increasing their business and making more money oh, and, and getting girl. the world out for that. But do they do? The, is it kind of like almost like, hey, don't put our secrets out there. Like girl. we got our own thing going on. We don't need everybody. We. Lord have mercy on my soul. So when I was collecting this information initially, I had so much resistance. I got mm. so much resistance from a lot of these um, these organizations, and understandably so, because they're first of all they're like, "Who are you? Why are you asking me for my information? Why are you asking me these questions?" Because you know, as Black people. 
And when you have businesses, especially when you have like businesses that involve livestock and, and, and anything else, you're targeted sometimes. Yeah. You know, and so um, a lot of people were like, well, you know, somebody called me about this, you know, months ago and told me they would help me out. And they didn't. And I don't understand why you're calling me. So it was just like, yeah, all, I, I got a lot of pushback. I got a lot. You know, a lot of people were not receptive to what I was trying to do. They just didn't understand it. Yeah. And they didn't they didn't believe that this black girl was trying to help them expose their business. They thought that this black girl is 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 going to try to take advantage of them in some way or some form. And it mm-hmm. was really 100% about the exposure, the growth and the collaboration of, you know, of us as a community. Um, so when the, the, the organization started to grow and it grew very quickly, it, 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 um, it just really blew up on social media because I started sharing a lot of the experiences like trail rides and things like that, that a lot of people had not even seen. I mean, they heard of trail rides, but they didn't hear these kind of trail rides. I mean, our trail rides was crunk, you know, so (laughs) they were like, what the heck is this? But the people that were actually in that culture that had been like, immersed in that like for example yourself you know you Mm -hmm. you were grown into that you know from your father and things like that so there were a lot of people that you know had been in the culture had been around and they were coming at me on my social media page like oh we've been doing this and who are you and where did you come from and I'm like okay so if you've been doing it why are you hoarding the information? You know, yeah. why are you keeping the information away from everybody? If you've been doing it, why haven't you been advertising this? And that's the biggest problem with our community is that we hold on to things like, oh, I can't tell nobody that. You know, <laughs> we don't we don't want too many black folk coming around here. Like, it's, just, it's just so ignorant. And that's why our our community is so torn. Like we, we, we're so divided. It's because we don't like to share information. We don't, we're afraid to collaborate. See me, I come from a collaborative mindset. It's like, either you get with it or you don't, you know what I'm saying? If you don't like it, bye. (laughs) I'm still, I'm going to promote this because I understand that I understand we, as a culture, we need to see this because if I did not see that black cowboy on that horse, I would not be where I am today. Yeah. So when I ride my horse on the street and when a little boy or a little girl sees me, who knows what that experience will do for them? So me exposing this culture, who knows what that experience will do for others? And since I, you know, since I did this, since, you know, a lot of people have, um, have found the organization, have started following us. They've called me like elders. I'm talking about elders have called me black men crying i can't believe this exists i i'm I'm so grateful and da 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 oh my god but if i would have listened to those people who said well why are you exposing our culture and da da da, i'm like if i would have listened to them then this information wouldn't have gone out to people like my 95 year old grandfather who doesn't who didn't know that there are still cattle herders out there that are black you know so um so yeah i got a lot of pushback and I think now, you know, we started in 2021 and um, now in 2023, people are, are, are coming around and they're like, okay, they're, they're getting with the groove of it. And even the thing is, one thing that I also experienced, which was, which was horrendous, you know, being a, 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 a black woman who heads a 
a cowboy organization in a predominantly male dominated field, I got a lot of men who said, oh, I would love to partner with you. I love what you're doing, you know, and they would come in and try to take over. They come in and try to say, oh, you know, we've been doing this for a little bit. Step off and and let me let me take over here. They would take take um, my partners like that. Would, I would connect them with, you know, individuals um, in like the corporate space. Like one of one of the things that I'm sorry, I'm kind of dancing around here. But one of the, the biggest things that I was um, help, hoping to do with this organization was to help these smaller barns, farms, and and other organizations get funding. And because I come from a corporate background, I understand that there's a lot of corporate money out there. And so I was the big connection between the corporate area and the agriculture, or I'd say uh, farming, or, you know, or that, that, the, the cowboy area. So I would connect them to the money. But what would happen was a lot of these individuals would go around me and exert their power and and, and try to um, say, oh, I'm more experienced. I don't, she doesn't need to be here. Why is she even here? You know, and um, so that was the biggest thing. A lot of people just coming in and trying to take over mm-hmm. my organization and what I was trying to do. So it was a lot of, a lot of things that were going on that I, I didn't really expect, but it's, it was all a part of the learning process. Yeah. And I, you know, unfortunately it's, it's not too surprising that people maybe tried to steamroll you in that way, but I'm glad that you've stood your ground and been like, nah, this is my, this is my baby. Oh, <laughs> for West Oakland. West Oakland don't never leave me. I don't care. <laughs> I've been in corporate America for 20 years, you know, working from people with people from Belgium, Spain and everywhere else, being the only black person in that organization, being the only black woman in a very male dominated organization. So I'm used to it, you know? So, you know, it's just like, come on now. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not just your regular, regular. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're the perfect person to take on this job. And, you know, I asked the question about were people not really wanting their stuff to be put out there? Cause I'm just thinking about my own father, right? Like, and something mm-hmm. about, and not, it, I don't even know that this is like color specific, like rural people just tend to be more private, more reserved, more suspicious. I feel like of things like this, whether they're black, white or otherwise. Um, and then you add kind of the black, element and it just gets compounded even more so heck and it and it would be like it, it's funny when you say you add the black element um so i would reach out to people and they'd say i love what you're doing and these are black men mostly i love what you're doing but uh can you not uh, change the name from black to uh colored or something else that's not just so black why (laughs) really that's surprising you know what i'm saying how about you create your own organization because this is focused on our community you know so it Mm -hmm. it was just a lot of a lot of pushback in a lot of different areas And, and yes a lot of people being in those rural areas out of fear out of um just not wanting to be exposed not having their their information out there um, they would um, not want to speak to me. You know, there were organizations who were very excited about it initially. I talked to them for hours and then I'd add them to the directory. I'll call them back again and then they'd never answer. Or I would refer hmm. a business to them. They'd never answer. So I just, I just said, okay, well, that's that. That's that. <laughs> huh. That's weird. And I'm actually am kind of surprised that people had an issue with black 
cowboy coalition. That's kind of surprising to me. Unless they just wanted, they they (laughs) did they want to include? They wanted to include like Hispanic far or like cowboys too, and that's why they wanted to call it colored. I'm gonna be real frank with you. I'm gonna be real blunt. Okay, a lot of these men who were very cautious about the name are really like skeptical. Were <laughs> were ma- not married to well married to to women outside of our culture, and that's not a big thing. But hmm. that's not a that's not a thing that should be an issue. But when you are not married within the culture, and you know there is you know someone outside of the culture who's trying to understand our culture, um. They are typically the ones who question their spouse and say, well, well, how come, how come it has to be this way? For example, okay, I, there was an, there was an organization that I was going to do this huge trail ride with in California and the gentleman, very nice gentleman, but he's married to a white woman and he, um, wanted to do the trail ride, but he wanted to take my name off of the um off of the flyer off of the event title he didn't want to call he didn't want black in it anywhere and um the thing is that when we initially spoke about it because we had been working on this for about three months when we initially spoke about it he was excited he called me Mm -hmm. (laughs) he called me you know But when we went further along into it, and I knew that he had been discussing it with his wife because he is, she is his business partner, very, very, very beautiful and kind lady. But as we, as it progressed, as the planning progressed, the name started to change and the approach started to change. So can we involve this and and not have this black vendor there? And and I knew it was coming from another place. It wasn't from mm-hmm. him because when we had initially had the conversation, it was, ooh, I love what you're doing. Black folk out here, kumbaya. You know what I'm saying? It was all yeah. power to the people. But as we progressed, he wanted to change it more and more. And it was like, oh, well, let me let me get back to you on this. And let me get, and when he would get back to me, things would change. So, um, so yeah, that is a lot of what I experienced. And not to say that, you know, white women or black, white men don't ex- understand our culture because we have allies that are white. I mm-hmm. ride with mm-hmm. white cowboys. <laughs> that's, yeah. you know, for the most part, that's a lot of who I ride with. And they're huge and incredible allies for us. Yeah. And, yeah. um, but it's a, it's a big misunderstanding of why do you have to focus on black people? And it's not that, it's not that we're the, the problem is that they, they think that we're being ex, um I say exclusionary is that right ex, we're excluding other races no the thing is that the black culture or the black community has been neglected over the past year you go to the hoods you see that nothing has changed the community programs are no longer there our communities are immersed in drugs and prostitution and violence there's not a lot of things that help to up uplift and up basically uplift the the black community so the focus is on the black community the focus is on bringing programs to us because we don't have it because we're the most neglected every time that we have a program we got to share it we got to say oh we have to be inclusive we have to you know 
we they throw in the LGBT and everything. I'm like, what the yeah. heck? You know, yeah. can we just be black folk? You know, who cares yeah. about, you know, what gender and, you know, gender mm-hmm. neutral and da-da-da. Can we just be black folk having a good time and, and, yeah. and celebrating our culture together and, and also, you know, um, helping our community to expand and grow. This is about helping the black community expand and grow. That's why we work with individuals. A lot of the people who I work with on my programs are Asian, white, you know, they, you know, they are, you know, are, we have like sponsors. It's not to be, to say, oh, it's, it's just us. You know, we're just, it's, this is our culture. This is what we're doing. No, it's to help the black community progress because we are the most neglected community. You know, we, we, everything has everything the 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 focus and the diversity programs have shifted from our community to everybody else we got to be you know even you know white men are um diverse now if if they're gay they are you know a a minority you know Mm so i just feel like we are the most neglected uh community and so i it's time for us to focus on it it's time for us to, to get back to, 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 to us. I mean, I went to a black college. I went to Howard University, you know? And so I don't want to be one of those who, you know, goes to corporate America and builds up their programs and, and does all their outreach for their community programs and not give back to the community that raised me. I was raised in a black community, a black karate school by black cowboys. Why can't I give back and, and show the community that we're here and we exist and we can create community programs for the community? <laughs> so yeah, that's, yeah. that's what it's about there. And also, so I have two things I want to add or ask you about. The first one is, I think it's important too, to, to when we talk about Black culture, that the cowboy culture is a part of that. that that's what a lot of people don't think or realize or understand because they don't know their history or whatever. When people think black culture, they don't think of anything rural farming, uh, ranching, cowboys, blah, blah, blah. So I love that you're kind of, in a way, bringing that back or highlighting that and saying like, black culture in America is extremely diverse. Yes, Mm -hmm. there's an urban culture. There's also a rural culture, Mm -hmm. um, et cetera, et cetera. So I love that. The second thing is, so about, I mean, I'm still surprised that black men are maybe sometimes black women who are married to a white guy, but these interracial marriages, I guess, are driving black cowboys to be like more soft handed about their ethnic background, because I'm sure you Mm -hmm. can tell by the way that I look, my mom is white. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm mixed. My dad would never, (laughs) never back down from like throwing his black card in people's face. Like he would never like some of the, that experience that you had, that would never be my father. So that's shocking to me, but actually you being a black woman is, is interesting too, because I, when I do see black cowboys, they tend to be just that cowboys, right? I don't see a lot of black cow girls and my dad is married to a white woman. What? And well, was married to my mom. They ended up getting, uh, um, a divorce and then he remarried another white woman and part of the reason is is because a lot of black women don't want to live the rural lifestyle they're not as that. interested in horses and that kind of thing it is white women that when people joke about like the crazy horse girl right you think of mm. a white girl <laughs> typically That's right. so That's right. in order to find a spouse who wants to live your lifestyle i think a lot of black men are like they have no other option but to marry a white woman uh so do you have you done any work 
or, or like advocacy as far as getting more black women involved in horsemanship? So, you know what? That's a good point. I haven't focused more on women, you know, as I should. You know, I, I, I love that you brought that up because a lot of black women are not into agriculture at all. <laughs> you know, they're, you know, prissy, they want to get their nails done, but, and, you know, they're about their lace fronts and they're, <laughs> you know, they're not trying to get down and dirty. Like, they're not trying to right. muck, you know, uh, boo boo all day, you know? So mm-hmm. we're few and far between. Um, but, um, you know, through our initiatives, I have, you know, tried to, you know, I've, I've, I've mentored some women. You know, I've consulted a lot of women, but the thing about it, what I'm noticing and what I've noticed in the culture is a lot of the black women are more into being with a cowboy or looking at a a black cowboy like he's a star or he's like just some, you know, rare find and not immersing themselves in the culture. Like you'll notice that at some of these trail rides, these predominantly black trail rides in the in the southeast, most of the women, not most, there are a lot of black cowgirls out there now. They they just don't really show them as much. But a lot of the women that come to these trail rides are just there to have fun, they're there to drink, they're there to socialize, they're there to dance and party. They're not there with their horses. And I think it's just because a lot of us have not been encouraged to do it. And me, it was just a passion of mine. It just, it just, I don't know. I don't know how I stuck with it throughout my life because even I was talking to my grandfather the other night, we were watching something on the news and they were showing this farmer and how, you know, these people moved out from, from, um, from New York, it was a, a black woman and her Hispanic uh, husband and their children. They moved out from New York and started farming. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's the life right there. And he was like, no, nah, no, nah, I take the city life. This is the city life. But my grandfather is from Beaumont. My grandfather grew up in that environment. But he's so traumatized from what happened that he don't want to go back there. So I think that a lot of the our culture has been... Um, just really integrated in that city lifestyle, especially with the culture now, city girls. And, you know, you know, this this is it being a horse girl or being, you know, out in nature is not promoted. But me, naturally, I'm out in nature. I'm outside. I'm in the woods. I'll go in the woods by myself, you know. (laughs) So um, I think that it just comes down to um, us just kind of you know, promoting it within, you know, for example, with my, with my daughters, I have a five-year-old and an eight-year-old and they've been riding since they were two and three and we'll go to the woods. They'll try to catch snakes and, you know, so they've been immersed in that culture. And I think it's just us up to us to immerse them in that culture. But I'm really glad that you brought that up because, um, I will actually look into expanding some programs that are targeting women to get more into the to, into the cowboy culture. Um, one one point that you made it, it is a you know predominantly more you know white women in the sport, and and that's just because they had access to it as well. Because a lot of these families out here, you know, they a lot of people think that this uh, culture you have to be 
rich to have a horse. Yeah. You have to be, um, you have to got to have some money. My first horse was $500, but mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people don't know how to get a horse for $500, you know, but a lot of people who are in this culture is, is predominantly white, what's shown. So what's advertised in Hollywood is white, you know? So, you know, we're just kind of a rare thing, but I guess, you know, that's going to be a part of this mission is to help more black women and women of color get into this, um, get into this culture because it's, it's necessary. It's, it's, it's fun. It's, you know, it's a great thing to do. And, um, and I think it should be encouraged amongst us. I, I agree. And I think <clears throat> I, I see the connection going back earlier to like karate and horsemanship in that it's kind of not a surprise that people that are maybe into martial arts would also be into taking care of horses because both are kind of involve a lot of discipline, a lot of patience. Mm-hmm. It's They're both kind of good for the soul. I guess people might argue that any sport is good for the soul, but I think we most of us would probably agree like martial arts are diff- is different. Learning some kind of karate or jujitsu or whatever is different than playing baseball. And actually, in a lot of ways, taking care of horses, it's a kind of a spiritual thing as well. And black people are very spiritual. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's just a side of us that we've forgotten. And that when people are just presented it in a certain presented horses and more of the rural country living in that way, people go, oh, yeah, actually, I do see value in this. And I'm going to check it out. And I was not trying to tell you, hey, you need to start reaching out to black women. You have a lot on your plate. Nah, <laughs> I was just but that, was a, that was a light bulb moment right there. Yeah, actually, it's really interesting that you brought that up because, you know, prior to it, I hadn't been really thinking about programs that were centered around women. It was more around, you know, getting those programs out holistically to the inner city community. Um, but as I have been in Oakland, California, where I'm actually from, I have noticed that women, young women, have had a lot of challenges here because of the lack of community um, engagement programs that are out here, community centers that are available. I remember being um, in a lot of different um, community-based programs when I was younger, dancing, martial arts, um, a lot of different, like, uh, a lot of different things, but those programs aren't being offered out here. And one um, one incident that I, I just recently had, I went to the, the public library and there was this young lady I heard in the back cursing out this older woman. And I have zero tolerance for elder disrespect on that level. Now, I understand, you know, sometimes elders get out of pocket, but to be calling somebody a B word so loudly in the library, it, it just really incited something in me to go over and speak to that young lady And it turned out that that young lady was only 15 years old and she was considering prostitution because she had been engaged with all these men. And and what I was learning about Oakland is that there's a big trafficking issue that's targeting young women because there aren't a lot of programs. There aren't a lot of things for women to do. There's more social media. So there, um, these people are going into churches, they're going into public schools and they're recruiting these young women. So if there's not community based, or if there's not community leaders that are going into these schools, going into these different elements where these young women are, then these predators are these people who will just 
um, just basically prey on these young women, get into their minds and sway their direction. If they're there targeting them, then we have a big problem. So the fact that you brought up that um, just the element of integrating um, some type of horsemanship program um, that engages women, I think that it's absolutely necessary um, just because of, you know, what I've been seeing, what I've been noticing um, with these young, very young ladies, the lack of leadership related programs uh, that are offered to women in these type of environments. For me, I was very fortunate. You know, I was very fortunate to be able to engage in different elements as a young woman. My father, you know, I was raised by a single father. Mm. Um, so he really made sure that we weren't out on the street. So we were, our, we were occupied with a lot of different things, but a lot of women, you know, not even just women, just, you know, youth in general don't have that foundation, you know? So I think, you know, it's important for organizations like my my organization, along with other organizations, to start offering better programming to get these women engaged in other things that actually give them hope. Yeah. Because when I was speaking to this young lady, I you know I I could tell I was speaking life into her because she just went from being extremely disrespectful and being very agitated by my presence when I confronted her and told her do not speak to that elder in that way. You know, she was, um, her whole demeanor changed when I started talking to her and giving her my experience in growing up in Oakland and how, how my trajectory changed when I went on a different path, especially focused on horseback riding. So, you know, the fact that that piqued her interest and, and, and calmed her down told me, okay, we, we, I think I might have something here that may be able to impact um, you know, the future leaders of our, our society and, you know, women, we have to start, we have to stand firm in our leadership uh, proudness because women are, in my opinion, some of the strongest leaders in any organization, in any neighborhood. You know, if you don't have that feminine element of leadership, then there's not a good balance and there's not a, a lot of progress, in my opinion, that's being made. So, Anyway, um, that was a long answer to your question. I definitely see, you know, the need uh, for there being some type of woman-oriented uh, leadership program, engagement program, integrating the horses and integrating some agri other agricultural trade elements. Just getting them out of this, getting them out of the um, environment that they're in in Oakland and putting them in something else, putting their mind in something else. Even if we are still in Oakland you know, putting out this programming, just having them being in an environment that escapes, you know, the realities of these Oakland streets. I think that that would be an important thing to yeah. incorporate. So just seeing that there's something else out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you, yeah. did you keep in touch with this gal or did it just kind of plant the seed after your conversation? Like, okay, I need to, I need to design a program so that when I do run into a, a, a young person like this, I can immediately say, Hey, we're having a meeting next Wednesday or whatever, you know, um, or have you already kind right. of pulled her into the fold? So one thing I noticed because I actually go down to this library often, I didn't keep in contact with her because she eventually just kind of walked away. She, you know, it was kind of like information overload. And I understood like, it was just like, one minute I'm cursing this this woman out and then the next minute I'm having a conversation with the stranger and I don't know who this woman is. And, you know, and I could tell she was getting a little emotional. I had to step away and use the restroom. So I didn't want to um, 
do too much, you know. Um, but I did notice because I've been back to that library, I've seen that grow there. So um, what I would do is probably work with the library. Once I do have this program in place, work with that library or work with the area um, where this library is and, and put out flyers and programs um, and be there, um, you know, just to let them know that what, we're, what we will be offering uh, to women. Okay. So that's actually a good way to segue. So we've kind of talked about the, 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 the female dynamic and, but what about the disconnect between elders and the youth? This is a young girl that you were talking to. So there's kind of two, she's a female and also she's very young. So do you engage a lot of young people through the black cowboy coalition? Have you been able to spark any kind of youth movement? Yeah, the, the youth love it. They love it. You know, um, I don't know what it is. Is it the Generation Z? What's the, yeah, the we're the millennials. I don't know what. I'm a millennial, is, and but, but now the young young adults now are Gen Z. Gen Zs. The Gen Zs are all for black cowboys. They're all for horses. They're all for getting out there, playing around, chasing cows. <laughs> like, they are so much more connected to nature than I would say the elders of our our present and our past. Um, I have had a lot of um, young men, especially reaching out to me, asking me, oh, how do, how do I join the coalition? Because they'll see the videos um, that I post or they'll, um, you know, I'll run into individuals when I'm writing or on the streets and they'll approach me and ask, you know, how do I get into this? How do I get involved? I get more interest from young um, men and women than I do elders. And especially um, in Charlotte, when I was riding with a, a, a group of young, main, mainly young men, it was uh, a group from, the, they, the ages range from seven to about um, 24 mm. um, that I was riding with, and they were extremely skilled. A lot of them had um, been riding since they were like 18 months old, okay. you know, believe it or not. And, and they even had, some of them even had their same horse. There's their first horse and they were still riding it at, at ages 13. So, you know, these young men had actually taught me a lot about horsemanship, how to properly tack my horse, you know, the, the type of bits to use, what, what bits is better than, you know, they had so much more knowledge surprisingly than a lot of the elders. Mm. But what I had noticed is like the elders kind of hoard information. It's like they want to give you, they don't want to give you too much because it seems like that generation is the whole, you got to work for it. I had to work hard. And so you do too, yeah. you know? So you have to do all the research. You have to do everything that I had to do times 10. You know, when I can just ask, you know, Bob, who Bobby, who's 12 years old, he's like, oh, yeah, let's just go down to Tractor Supply and I'll show you X, Y, Z and what, you know, what's the best thing to get here? What's the best thing to get? You know, it's, it's really interesting. You know, um, the elders in this industry, I, I you know, I, it's OK. It's not a lot. It's I, w I wouldn't say the majority of elders, but a lot of them that I have run into, not just me, but um, this this is kind of like a common theme. I talk to a lot of other horsemen about this. They don't like to pass down information. And it's kind of like they just think that they're just going to live forever mm -hmm. and hold on to the information and not and not want to just, you know, see somebody else. They don't want to pass the torch yeah. 
to someone else just yet. I'm still here. Uh-huh. You know, even at 90 years old, <laughs> I'm still here, still living, you know. Um, so, and even if they do, they kind of breadcrumb you with mm-hmm. the information, which is really, it's really sad, you know. And even like, um, you know, reaching out to a lot of the organizations that are owned and managed by elders who have been in the industry for a long time, you know, that we maintain a directory of ranches, barns, and horsemanship related organizations. Um, And just reaching out to them and saying, hey, you know, we have this directory, we'd like to feature you. Um, They were very resistant to even providing any information to us because, you know, they thought we were going to try to take something from them. You know, so it's a weird element within our culture of not sharing information, not passing down information. And I think it's because, you know, I I spoke to an elder who um, runs a very successful organization out of South Carolina. And for a long time, he was bombarded with people who would call him and say, hey, I have this program, I want to work with you. Or, hey, I have this grant program, or I have this loan program, and this will help your organization. And they ended up being frauds. You know, so I think that some of the elders have been through a lot of abuse, you know, a lot of different things in life that, you know, I have no knowledge of. I've never experienced, but um, unfortunately we'll, we'll be penalized yes. for that. And so, um, so yeah, it's, it's really interesting, but kind of just going back to your question, I do get more youth, especially like, you know, I'll talk to my cousins about, you know, what I do and, you know, I'll show them videos of what we've done, you know, in the past with, you know, kids around their age or even, you know, older. And they're like, oh, my God, that looks like so much fun. But then I'll show their their fathers or, you know, a, a, another elder and they'll just be like, hmm, OK, hmm. you know, like not even really acknowledging it. They'll just be like, oh, OK, like it's, it's not even any, anything. But I think I think that we have just gotten so ingrained in this society of paying bills going to work, doing our nine to five, you know, not really having fun. And, and the, and what we consider fun is maybe watching the football game on the weekend and drinking beers with our buddies or, you know, going to happy hours and brunches with our friends. We're not expanding our horizons and saying, Oh, well, let's just go to the cattle ranch this weekend and, you know, see what's up with them. (laughs) You know, I don't know. (laughs) To me, that sounds really exciting, you know, but to, you know, someone else, they're just, they're, they're not, their thinking is, I wouldn't say limited, but I, I would say it's limited to um, what is being exposed to or what is being offered to them in this current environment. And what's being offered to them is programming, social media programming, television programming. So all they really do is just kind of hang out in the house or go to their little happy hours, go to their little brunches. They don't, they're not really engaged in anything outside of that world. Mm-hmm. That's a big part of what I'm trying to do and what we're trying to do with this organization is to broaden people, broaden people's horizons or, you know, their mindsets, open up their minds to see that there is something else out there. You know, I know you like hanging out with the girls. So come to the trail ride next weekend. There's a big trail ride in Texas you know, um, in Houston, you know, come out there, engage with your community, you know, see that there are other things out here for you to do. You don't have to ride horse. You can just hang out, drink your moonshine, drink your water, dance, have a good time, but engage with the community. So, um, so yeah, so that's, that's a big thing. A big thing that we're trying to do here at the Black Cowboy Coalition is just open people's minds just to see that there's other things out there and using the tools 
that are provided via social media to show these people that, you know, these things are out right. There. Yeah. And kind of, kind of like what your grandfather, I think is going through a lot of black people historically link the agricultural lifestyle, the rural lifestyle to oppression and a lot of it rightfully so. Right. I mean, I'm not saying they're liars or anything like that. A lot of people say, Hey, that's when we were, when we were picking cotton and we were blue collar workers, barely making a dollar. Now we're not doing that anymore. Now we have white collar jobs or whatever. Um, and that's progress. There's no ownership there though. That whole white collar lifestyle, you know, we're working for owners. It's it's basically the same kind of concept of, you know, having a slave master. There's no ownership, you know, you're going to job, you're going to your job every day and, and making a profit for someone else instead yeah. of building up your own, you know, creating your own legacy, you know, it doesn't have to be on a farm, you know, but still creating your own thing so that you don't, your children don't have to work for Johnny and the, and them, you know? Right. And it's extremely, uh, I think it's extremely empowering to take care of an animal. Like to take care of a horse is uh, like, this is a large animal. They do have, you know, anybody who rides horses will tell you they have different personalities. You get, you feel connected to them similar to the way people feel connected to their dog. You know, um, there's like a spiritual component to it. And even like, I'm thinking about that young lady you met at the library, like the, a lot of these the youths don't have a sense of self-worth or purpose or like motivation. And a lot of things that you have to take on if you're engaging with agriculture, barns, you know, farming, that kind of thing, provide a lot of those experiences. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd say, you know, before you can even train a horse, you have to train yourself. You have to train yourself mentally, physically, and spiritually, spiritually to even be, um, engaged with that type of animal you have to know what you're getting into because it's not just you know getting out there and throwing a saddle on a horse you have to understand their personality you have to understand how they move um just how you know they interact with the other animals within you know their area um so there's a lot of things that you know go into actually even dealing with horses, you know, livestock, you know, you really have to train yourself first. So I think, uh, I just think that's really important for us to, to just be mindful of. Speaking of getting yourself ready, preparing your mind and everything else, let's just talk about what resources the Black Cowboy Coalition can provide. Like what's on your website? What's a person who doesn't know anything about horses, agricultural lifestyle, they're interested in your programs, they're interested in what what can you just describe what people can look for and expect and how they can use the Black Cowboy Coalition as a resource, whether they're experienced with horses or or not? Okay, so, so just backing up to, you know, really what the mission of the Black Cowboy Coalition is. It's, you know, the core of our mission is to connect cowboys back to the community. And we do that in three different ways, in education, through leadership and development, and through community engagement. And when we talk about education, so we create innovative programs that are focused around horsemanship, agriculture, um, leadership, different elements that can expose them to, you know, the agricultural way of life. But through that, we also have to put in strong leaders that can, you know, engage those individuals, understand where their mindset is, you know, train them first to even be in the type of environment that will um, lend them success. 
in agriculture. So we do that um, through our mentoring and uh, leadership uh, engagement. And then also prior to any of this, we um, do community engagement. So we engage the community to understand what the actual needs are. In Oakland, you know, comparing like Oakland to like a Charlotte, you know, there aren't a lot of, there's not a lot of land, you know, a lot of open land to really work with, to have like some big agricultural programs. So a lot of that would have to be outside of the area. But what we do have here is just a big population of people, Mm -hmm. you know, and we do have lot spaces that are being unused. So we look at like things like urban farming, just different types of programs around that. And then also integrating the horsemanship elements and then the other agricultural trade elements um, and having to partner with organizations that may be within the area or outside of the area. So with our community engagement, you know, a lot of people see us doing like block parties and um, different things that engage the community. But when we're doing that, we're actually doing analytics. We're trying to understand what the community really needs, what they can really grow from, like what would really benefit the community. So we're engaging with the individuals. But, you know, what people can look for, you know, on, on our website, um, we have um, just information about the Black Cowboy Coalition, along with some engagements that we are currently working on. Also, our directory, which is really important. A lot of people don't know. Uh, we were the first and I think still really the only uh, yellow pages, um, I call it the the yellow pages for um, ranchers, barns, and other cowboy and horsemanship related and agricultural related organizations that are black owned. People can go on our website and it's filtered by the state and they can look in their state to see if there are any organizations near them that can provide horseback riding lessons. We have some farriers on there. Um, and we have some vets that are on there. So yeah, so they can look on there to see. And it's an it's an ever-growing site. Every day we're adding new uh, companies on there. So um, that's a really big feature on our site because that's one of the biggest questions that we get is where can I, where can I get horse riding lessons from? Or where can I buy a horse? And if they contact some of these organizations, for example, some organizations in Charlotte, you just call them and say, hey, do you have any information on where I can purchase a horse and they would have that information. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of what's what you can find on our website. Some of the things that we do um, through our community engagement and using social media is showing people what um, what's out there. You know, so we, we try to use uh, our social media um, strategically just to educate um just to educate the community a little bit more on, you know, um, a lot of people didn't know that they're still um, having, they, they still do cattle roundups to, you know, ship cattle off to um, manufacturers or, you mm-hmm. know, um, different organizations or different companies who utilize cattle for beef, you yeah. know, processing, cattle processing. So I had some videos up where, you know, I actually wrote with some um, Oklahoma cowboys when they had an actual shipping day. It was an actual working day for them. But um, they uh, they graciously had me along just for the, for the ride, just to see you know, what mm-hmm. they do, what their day-to-day life is. Um, and a lot of people, even my grandfather, he was shocked to see that that even exists to this day. I mean, I don't know what people thought about cattle. I mean, we have so many different uh 
scientific uh, approaches to uh, creating meat <laughs> nowadays. I, I don't, I don't know if people know that you know there are still cattle that are gra- grazing yeah. on land that we pick up and slaughterhouses. But um, yeah, so we uh, we expose that information to people along with um, the different trail ride organ or not trail ride, but saddle club organizations that exist out there. There are thousands. So many saddle club organizations that, you know, when I was creating the saddle club directory on our website, and which is a part of that yellow pages, I had to stop in Texas. I had to stop collecting information because I didn't have a data analyst. It was just so much information from these saddle clubs. So there's thousands of saddle clubs that exist within the United States, even in California, that you can join. And even if you don't have a horse, you can learn more about um, just being, you know, in that type of uh, in- industry, what it takes, you know, um, I learned a lot when I was in the saddle club about how to properly care for a horse before I had my horses. So, um, so we do expose people to that information and also um, to the trail rides that are happening. And I, I put a big emphasis on the trail rides on our social media sites because it's good for the community to see that we can get together as a community and have a great time together and um, have successful events with no violence whatsoever. You know, we can dance, we can camp out for three, four days, have a great time, ride our horses together and just genuinely um, enjoy each other in a community like setting. So, yeah, so that's a lot of the things that you'll see us on our website and also on our social media sites. Yes, I love it. I love that you're doing this. I love that you were able to come on to this show. I'm just so grateful that you're doing this, what I think is really important and understated uh, work and that our, as Black Americans, our roots are in agriculture and there's pain around that, but um, there's also a lot of joy and there's also a lot of empowerment. And so I thank you for, for pointing that out and showing people people that and celebrating the awesome black cowboys that are in our history and still riding today. I mean, we do have a lot of history within agriculture and what I'm realizing through um, just meeting new people and engaging with them, a lot of the history that was taught to us was not correct. So, you know, I encourage people to speak with the elders within their families, within their communities to understand where they came from. A lot of people are here in the Bay Area and don't even realize that their grandparents came from Mississippi and Louisiana and they were actual farmers. Mm -hmm. They were actually actual ranchers. They weren't just out there picking cotton. I don't have slavery in my in my history, in my family's lineage. We were we were um, ranchers in the 1800s and the 1700s. We were um, very, um, our last name was very popular. We were well known in Texas or in the Beaumont area and then also in the Louisiana area. So um, I encourage people to go out there, just talk to their, their, their elders. You know, a lot of the elders, unfortunately, because of a lot of pain that they went through, um, and it's not, it, people always associate it, they think it's related to slavery. You know, it's, it's, it's just getting forced off of their land and having to migrate here from the South. So I encourage people to really engage the elders within their community, within their um, lineage to understand where they actually came from and if they do have any connections to the land. Because I've been writing since I was very young, but I didn't learn until 
1833 that my great-great-grandfather had hundreds of acres of land and he was driving the Cadillac of horses. You know, he had, he was a driver, a horse driver mm-hmm. and his, you know, his um, carriages were gorgeous Cinderella decked out in the 1800s. So that those are stories that aren't really told, but I was fortunate for that my grandfather was able to share that information with me. So I, I do again encourage people to reach out to their elders to understand their their history. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for that note. Alrighty, let's get into the 10 speed round questions. Uh, and then after that, we'll give you the floor to any final thoughts, things you want to promote anything you want to, sh- to tell our audience before we sign off? Are you ready for your 10 questions? Ready. All right. Number one, what is the biggest misconception about you? Ooh. That I'm naive, that I'm young and naive. A lot of people think I'm younger, a lot younger than I actually am. Well, that's kind of a compliment. Uh, should the United States return to the gold standard? I think we should go back to bartering. I think we should go back to barter. Are, are dress codes a good thing for society? No. Yes and no. What is your hottest take? Your spiciest take? My spiciest take on what? Anything. Dang. Um. Oh, that. Uh, oh, this is a a big one. That um slavery was kind of um mistold i'll just leave it there what is the best part of being black being beautiful that our skin is just radiant and kissed by the sun and that we age like fine wine that you can never tell how old we are because we just look so beautiful in the sun and we can just sit out in the sun all day and not necessarily have to use um, sunblock. Sometimes we do get sunburned, but not all the time. So I think that that's the best thing about being yeah. like, just beautiful. You can have dinner with any living person on earth. Who would you pick? Dave Chappelle, hella funny. <laughs> that would be an entertaining <laughs> dinner. Booker T. Washington or W.E.B. Du Bois? Booker T. Washington. Do you celebrate Juneteenth? No, not really. What is the biggest issue facing Black America today? That we are so disconnected as a community that we see ourselves as enemies instead of family. MLK or Malcolm X? Malcolm X all day, every day, even though MLK (laughs) was a a big dog. Malcolm X was a revolutionary, hardcore pit bull. I loved him. Loved him a lot. Great. Those are your 10 questions. Do you have any final thoughts you want to leave our audience with? I just encourage everybody to... Just explore, you know, do something different today. You know, after you hear this, this conversation between Connie and I, I encourage you to go outside, go buy some water, hug a tree, get back in nature, (laughs) put your, your fingers in the, in the ground, lay on the grass, just do some, some like snow angels, but not necessarily snow. If you don't have snow, you know, do some grass angels on the ground. Just get back to nature. You know, you may not want to be, you know, a horseback rider or, you know, digging a cow's butt, you know, to check and see if it's pregnant or not. You know, you don't <laughs> might not want to do stuff like that, but you may just want to, you know, look at some chickens or chase some chickens one day. There are chickens 
you know, sometimes you wouldn't even know it in East Oakland in the hoods. You'll find some chickens, you know. So, um, but anyway, all jokes aside, I just encourage people to just get off of social media as much as we are on social media and do something else today. Great advice. Get outside. Get away from the screen. Get outside. Aisha, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. I look forward to following your work and I hope to go on a ride with you someday. Yes, please. And Connie, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate you following our organization. And I just really appreciate this time that you spent with me today. Thank you so much. You're listening to the Free Black Thought Podcast. Free